Um, welcome Annie Doyle to the show today, Pushing the Limits. We're with Annie Doyle who is in Sydney. She's the CEO of Sunnyfield, mother of two, and absolute amazing lady who does mountaineering. Annie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Lisa. I'll just clarify, I'm the CEO of Civic. I've moved companies. Ah. Still a disability. Still a disability. Sorry about that. I've got old old research materials, obviously. Um, (laughs) So, Annie, tell us a little bit about your work. Um, What does it involve? And, and, um, yeah, just a bit. Basically, I'm... Very lucky. I, I work in the field of disability and mental health, and obviously that's a growing area um, in today's world. Um, I get to look after or to support um, over 500 clients here at Civic um, in accommodation and in community programs, and they also work in our factories where they do really meaningful work. So. Um, it's basically all around um, getting people engaged in their communities, um, getting them in, uh, into jobs that they actually want to be in, getting them to do stuff in the community that is valuable for them and that meets their goals and targets. So it's it's really fun to get people engaged. Fantastic. So 500 people under your umbrella, so to speak. At, at any one point in time, there's always uh, at least 500 under our uh, under our support, yes. Wow, and you're the head of that, and you sort of, how long have you been doing this sort of work for, Annie? I've been doing disability now for about five years, and but in the past life I used to be a nurse and in several mm. other jobs, but it all, it's all sort of come together under the umbrella um, as I've got older. <laughs> Sounds like a fun job and, and one that really makes an impact in the world a little bit. Yeah, it's good to get out of bed and make a difference. Like, it's really easy to sell, um, you know, I don't know, Coca-Cola. But um, it's, it's, it's not something that I want to be a part of. I, I want to be in, uh, you know, in a meaningful, something that puts back, but at the same time gives me um, a lot of meaning in my work. And they say that if you're passionate about your job, um, then obviously you're going to bring a lot to the table. So that's what I'm all about. Absolutely. I agree with that totally. If you, if you, if you love doing what you're doing, then you don't have to really work a day in your life, do you? <laughs> yeah, never do. Yeah, never do. No, I smile. I laugh a lot. <laughs> That's always a great sign if you're smiling at work. Now, Annie, um, you've got two children? I do, I do. I have um, Matthew and Grace. She's 25 and Grace is 23. So no longer little ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're great kids. And they're over in Sydney as well? Yeah, and so you are from New Zealand, though. You're of uh, part Maori descent. What's a, what tribe are you from, Annie? I'm from the Arawa. Ah, okay, okay. I'm Tia Tiawa down in Taranaki. So um, kia ora from New Zealand, this part of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, proud of my heritage. Oh, absolutely. That's great. So, Annie, today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your your mountaineering, obviously. Is, is is something that that most people are interested in, but I'm sort of interested in not just the the facts of the things that you've done, but really why you've done it. Um, uh, as you as you might know, I do a lot of ultra marathons and sort of extreme expeditions. So I've never climbed any big mountains, probably because I'm too scared of them, to be honest. And I'm in awe of what you do. Um, but I do understand what it takes to to do extreme events and to be able to plan and the whole project planning and everything that goes in, into something like that. Um, and the first question I always get asked is, why do you do it? And how did you get started? So I suppose I'd better start with those two questions for you. Um, so how I got started was um, I was uh, I've always been uh, into sport. Growing up in New Zealand, it's pretty hard not to be into sport. Uh, I mean, it's an amazing backdrop to do absolutely anything you want to do, um, and you're also not limited by the, the weather factor. So, um, as a child, I think at any one time we're always about five or six sports. My my father was a mad Dutchman who just um, basically at weekends drove us from sport to sport. And, you know, my mum and dad were always standing on the sidelines cheering us on. 
Um, and so, you know, great, great, great upbringing. Can't, you know, I can't fault it. And, um, and then um, as I got older, I realised I was really good at endurance. When I was 17, I cycled most of Europe. Um, and as I, you know, as I got older, I, uh, I got into running, distance running. Um, and so doing distance means, you know, marathons, half marathons, whatever it was, you know, whatever was on the books. And then that evolved into 100 Kers. And then from there, as your hips get a little bit sore, you, you kind of go, well, you know, road running's not it. Um, track running's okay, um, but bush running's the best. So, and once you're doing bush, you're doing, um, you know, you start to do mountains anyway. You're starting to do, you know, smaller, smaller mountains. And then I started to really seriously contemplate climbing. So I came over to New Zealand, did all the basics, um, did alpine courses. Then I did, you know, um, you know, from beginners right through to advanced, and um, spent a lot of times and time in the New Zealand mountains. And can I say it's, it's just stunning up there, guys? Yeah. And um, <laughs> and then and then went overseas. And my first trip was to. Um, Argentina uh, to climb and that was a dismal failure <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you've had some of those uh, we'll talk about failure later <laughs> yeah and, and um, came back and, and you know trained harder and got more gear together got more uh, self-sufficient and from then I've never looked back and as wow. I've you know and then slowly but surely I've ticked off the seven summits yeah that is absolutely incredible now it's funny you've got a very similar background to me I started off cycling through lots of countries then started running wasn't particularly ever good at running but just ended up being good at endurance so maybe we've got some some um, relations in the past there some genetic uh, connections so if I could just take you back before we get up onto the mountains because they you know they're they're the massive subject but what um sort of countries did you cycle through and um what was that like was that a big adventure was it the first time overseas for you uh so at 17 because my dad's dutch at 17 um i went and lived in holland and i ended up staying for 10 years and um every spare minute i had i'd get on my bike and go somewhere and it's my my dad's brothers were marathoners and so great outdoor athletes and we're always um you know um egging me on to do something um and so, so yeah, so when I went on my first overseas jaunt from Holland, I got on a bike and, um, you know, literally we cycled to the south of France and back just for a bit of a jaunt. And then <laughs> we went do. to Luxembourg and back. And then we went to, you know, uh, we'd go to different places and back. And then I suppose one of the hardest jaunts I did was from Holland all the way to Norway through um, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, and to Norway because it was all hills oh. and, um, and you know that was really challenging um, but you know just gave you you know good endurance good ticker absolutely <laughs> I cycled through Sweden Finland and Norway was one of my first trips too like I'm just laughing that you spent 10 years in Holland I spent 13 years in Austria uh, it sounds like <laughs> you could be my um, little bit older sister really um, <laughs> sounds very familiar it does, it does. And you know, when you. What's that? I reckon I hold the world record for flat tires. <laughs> I promise. In, in the sand on the side of the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It used to eat my tyres. It used to drive me nuts. Anyway. And I, I remember spending three weeks in Sweden and never drying out, being wet the entire time. <laughs> oh, I'll totally agree. I had, um, and I had the worst, um, I thought New Zealand was bad for sand flies. Sweden's not bad. Oh. <laughs> I can't relate. You, the mosquitoes, the mosquitoes yeah, can be yeah. just awful, right? <laughs> Yeah. But that sort of a, an experience um, does toughen you up, doesn't it? Physically toughens you up to being in the outdoors every 24-7. Look, um, you know, I think it's um, – I say this to quite a few people. If they're ever contemplating, um, you know, partnering up with a person, you should go camping together first. <laughs> and, um, you know, go, go on one of these trips and, and you really learn um, – 
what makes a person tick. Absolutely. So if you if you if you yeah, if you have any doubts, go and camp with them for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I actually, oh, that's brilliant advice, actually, because you know that that um, you know, you talked in one of the articles I read about you camaraderie being really important factor, and, and when you're out and doing extreme things, you cannot hide behind any sort of niceties anymore, can you? You sort of find out what it is you're getting in for. <laughs> look, it's, it's, um, look I, I, I've got some really wonderful. Uh, Girlfriends that we we go we go trekking with a lot, and um, you know we always say by about day one and a half, you know everything. You know, nothing, <laughs> nothing sacred. <laughs> nothing is sacred after that. So, um, so you know, you break down all those barriers immediately, and then you're straight into it. So. <laughs> it's exactly, it's exactly. I'd agree with that completely. And that's one of the beauties of, of of nature. I think nature and being challenged in nature really strips away this sort of plastic world that we live in. You know, this artificial world. Is that one of the reasons why you like getting out of nature too? Well, I suppose, and I've said this a few times in my life, you know, um, if I look at everything that we've got, you know, we, we live in this amazing society where there's, you know, it's a disposable world and you can buy anything you want at the local shop. If you go and do an amazing adventure on a mountain, there are no local shops. There's, if you forget your undies, you're going to live without them for um, a very long time. Um, if you... If you are, you know, in, in any way you've forgotten an ice axe or a, or a crampon, you know, you're not climbing. <laughs> so you've got to be really logistically organised. Um, you know, you've got to plan everything to the nth degree down to what you're going to eat and drink. Um, you've got to make sure you've got all your gear because there is no local shop. And then you've got to bring with it, you know, your, your head and, and your legs. So you've got you've got to be as fit as you can be, but mentally as tough as you can be. So it's 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 never good to go into a mountain, you know, in a state of flux because yep. it's not going to work. Yeah. So because it's it, it's really it's a, it's I'd say it's an eighty twenty game where twenty percent is your fitness and eighty percent is your head. Yeah, I would agree with that. That that um, whether you're doing ultra marathons or climbing mountains or expeditions, it is all about really your mental state going into these events have you ever been in a situation in a in a mountain or in, in some sort of a, a trek or whatever where you've gone in there and not a good mental state and then had a hell of a battle um so i, I suppose going back to that very first trip up um at Kentag in argentina um we went in with um a group of guys um, and and none of them known to us and they all had egos and women are a much more caring, nurturing um, team. Yes. So um, going with, in with men who just, you know, wanted to get up their summit and to give a rats about the rest of the team, that, that was really tough for us mentally. Also, they were... They were um, really self-centered around food like it was really difficult for them to understand that the food was all the food that we had and so there, there were there were there were people on that trip who stole food <laughs> uh, you know from the from the yeah. food and, and so, you know, things like that so that first trip that taught me a lot about people and about uh, about the differences between how men and women approach trips and so for a while there I didn't I, I only did trips with um, with people that a that I knew um, I, I, and b um, who had the same type of philosophy as me. Mm. As I've progressed in my climbing career, I've now advanced to include, you know, um, people whose resume ticks my boxes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, um, so I'm not so worried about the personality because if you get into the hard end of climbing things, um, most of the people that are there are pretty much A-type personalities who are driven, yep. who, who, who want the summit, who, you know, um, who, who um, know what they come from, you know, um, all walks of life, but they have a lot to bring to the table. So, yeah. so it's not as it's, it's not as challenging now to, to mix with a group. And you're stronger probably as a person yourself and, and able to assert what you believe is Correct. yeah. Yes. Although, and I, I 
yeah, I have a lot more skills myself so that I don't feel like I'm, you know, dependent on on anybody. I, I go in there knowing that I'm self-sufficient. Wow. That that takes a long time to get to that point, doesn't it? And, yeah. And, and, yeah. Look, and, you know, you're always going to have fears. I mean, um, I, I've been to the south side of Everest a couple of times and then I went to Tibet and, and then going into Tibet I was still nervous because I hadn't been to Tibet for yes. so you, 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 you're always going to have fears um, that's just a mind thing you know you've got to control it so how do you you know let's let's talk about fear a little bit because I mean one of the great things about this this technology and being able to share and people listening to us talking have problem, a lot of them never when they face a fear they they fall apart or they don't they think well they shouldn't do it if they're scared what would be your thoughts around that because fear is inherent in any sort of risk taking activities any sort of extreme you know you do feel fear that's that, that's a revelation for starters for a lot of people I, I think fear is a good thing. Um, I think it's it, it's it's a healthy, um, natural uh, thing to feel. I, I I would be a liar if I said to you I was never scared. But people say to me, "Are you scared of heights?" No, I'm not. Um, are you? You know, uh, I know I've, I've been on you know massive abseils and things with people, and they've all gone, "Oh my, I've lost my stomach," and I go, "No." That, that's not the fear I'm talking about. The fear is, you know, looking at the weather patterns, judging the load on the snow, um, you know, um, you know, judging how how well you feel on a particular day. Mm. It, um, you know, working out have you got enough resources in you to get up and back again. Yeah, those sorts of things. That that's what drives me, and that's what you know um, I worry about. I, you know, you're always going to worry about anything new. It's it's it's. I know no one that goes into a situation and goes, I can just do this. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, it's a healthy it's a healthy thing to be keeps um, you alive. Sure. Yeah. So so when, when people say to me, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm way too scared. Oh, I put this to you. My dad grew up in Holland during the war, and he um, he said, you know, uh, Hitler came in and they were occupied in Holland. And he said, so we we did things that, you know, um, we stole um, food and we, we did all these things. And he said, we did it because we had to, to survive. So my, my thinking is this, if you have to do something, if tomorrow I said you could only live if you got over the top of a mountain, you'd do it. Exactly. So, 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 so it's, it, you know, sometimes it's born of need, but sometimes it's born of you just go, oh, well, if, if there were other circumstances, I'd have to do this, so why don't I try and do it? That's a really, I mean, my, my scenario that I have a ticking in my head when I'm running, say, 200Ks or whatever, is if my mother's life depended on it, would I give up right now? And if I can answer no, then get your ass off the ground and keep moving, you know. So, so often we um, don't challenge ourselves because it's easier not to and because we live in a world where you don't need to. Yeah. So, um, so it's all complacency. So I love seeing mental toughness. I love seeing it in, in young people especially. Like I go, how did they get that? You know, like it's just um, – it's. It's, it's really special when you can see people that are mentally tough. Oh man, you're so good at expressing that. I've I've tried to, um, you know, explain that to people. Uh, mental toughness. Why would you put yourself through it? Is the first question. Why would do you like suffering? Do you like pain? And I go, no, I don't like suffering or pain. But it's part of the parcel. It's part of achieving something. How many times have you got to the end of something horrific and you've gone, I'm never doing that again? And then a week later, you look at the friend that you did it with, and you go, next year. Yeah, yeah. And we do it all. Again, and yeah. so what is that? So there's something in us also that loves to be challenged. Like I like to get out of bed for a reason. I don't want to be in bed, you know, like going, oh, you know, I'll get out and I'll go training, but I don't know why I'm training. Yeah, you got to have a purpose. Yeah, so I, so I set myself goals. Yeah, and that, that goal setting is the next uh, issue, you know, because goals, uh, setting goals, I mean, it's a bandied about word that you hear at every damn conference and everything, but goal setting 
really focuses your mind and on something. If you're if you're planning to climb Aconcagua, then you have to have all these sub goals, all these little um, waypoints along the way where you have to tick off and achieve, and your logistics and the whole preparation. And in that journey, you're actually learning so much more than just on the day that you're actually climbing to the summit. You know, the the. the of years and years of work one of your articles you wrote you know um, someone asked you how long you've been training for Everest and you wrote my whole life and I thought yep that's, that's about it that's <laughs> Exactly. It's not in a capsule, is it? It's not, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go and run 100K today. No, the journey to do that was was, was years long. And, and it's little steps along the way. People look at what you've achieved and they go, oh, wow, I could never, ever do that. But they're looking at it from a point of view of adulation, of of. Of, of something that's hugely far removed from them. But if they take that first step, then they realize actually the second step's not that far away, and the third step, and the fourth, and then they slowly get to where you're going, you know? Yeah, but, but also, how long, uh, I mean, you know, this, um, it takes 21 straight days to get a habit or something. Yeah, 30 days, I think, yeah. So, yeah. But you get up every day and you do something. And then after 21 days, you're you're in a little habit. Yep. Then you extend that. So I, I would never say to someone tomorrow go and climb a mountain. I'd say go and start running around the block. <laughs> you know, like don't don't do the horrific. Do do the fun bits. Warm yourself up to it. Get amazingly you know fit and then go. But don't you know like I suppose people. The other problem I suppose I see nowadays is that people want it and they want it now. Yes, the instant, um, the instant and, success. And that's never going to happen. And I suppose, you know, my dad used to say to me, you know, if you work hard, you'll get where you want to go. And I'm sticking to that one. Absolutely, it is. It is hard. It's hard work and dedication over a hell of a long period of time, um, and, and 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 especially young people today, everything is instant. They do expect success overnight, and it doesn't happen. Um, but one of the great things about life is that you age, whether you want it or not, and time does go. <laughs> Time does go by, and you know sometimes I'm, I'm looking back at you know what you've done and, and stuff, and you think, "Crikey, that just means I'm so old." <laughs> you know, all those. You know, you know what's really cool is when a friend of yours, you know, one of your friends is having a birthday, and they put up all the slides of tricks that you've done together, <laughs> stuff that you've done together. And you go, oh my god, how long ago was that? <laughs> yeah, look how young I looked. Doing it for a very long time. <laughs> exactly. And, and when people listen to your, your your CV or something, they just go, oh wow, that's just that's just her, and she can do that, and I can't do that. And for me, I'm really all about trying to get people to take those first steps and start to believe in themselves because self doubt is the biggest killer to anybody achieving. Uh, anything. I, I love those stories where, you know, people show what they've done, you know, like you know, 10 years ago they were doing this and now they're doing this. Um, you know, they're great and they're inspirational and they just show that anybody can do it if they want to. Yep. And I suppose I'm, I'm blessed because I work in disability and I see the amazing achievement of some of our people. And, you know, they, they might have spasticity, they might have, you know, um, physical as well as intellectual impairment and um, they they kick butt so you know whenever I'm in doubt I just watch one of those guys and I just go yeah actually Actually, that's a really good place to work when you're um, doing the sort of things you're doing because you look at people who haven't had genetically perhaps all the advantages that you and I've got and there they go doing something 
Absolutely amazing. I'm planning a, a, a mission with a, with a guy here, and he's got brittle bone disease. And um, Samuel, and Samuel's in a wheelchair, you know, hundreds of broken bones in his life. He's like less than three feet tall. He's like really tiny, hasn't grown. And the dude is just, oh, I'm just a regular guy, you know, trying to live my life. And he's doing, you know, sailing across the Cook Strait and, and he wants to go on a, a couple of hundred K run with me, you know, in his wheelchair next to me. And um, he's married, he's got two children. He hasn't let any of that, what you would expect for someone of that disability. <laughs> That's what I love. I love that courage. Yes. So, you know, if ever you, you know, doubt yourself, it's really good to be working in this environment mm-hmm. because you go, God, my mountains are nothing compared to that. <laughs> Get over yourself, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, you know, the mountains you have climbed and, and, and what you have done is, it is really, um, it is amazing. It is amazing, Annie. I know, you know, you probably, oh, yeah, anyone can do it and all that jazz but I've I've been to the Himalayas I've been up to around Everest Base Camp I've been at altitude a few times and raced races and it kicked my butt it absolutely smashed me just being at around the five and a half thousand meters let alone um you know yeah it's another thing that you need to manage really well and the more i've done at altitude the better i've got um i i I can remember being very um seedy at altitude the first time um and it is it's one of those things it's all about um knowing your body you know and it's like it's like an endurance event like if you don't eat and drink properly you're not going to get to the end of the line mm. so um and i'm probably one of the worst people to be saying that because <laughs> I, I manage that really poorly sometimes um but um yeah it, it is about uh, altitude is, a, is a, a terrible thing you feel like you've got a migraine the flu you know all these, <laughs> you want to vomit um, and then you still have to keep climbing. So it's... it's <laughs> Sounds like fun. I know. <laughs> it's a horrible thing, really. Um, and I say that to people, like, why do you want to do that? And I say, because when you get to the top, you forget the migraine and the flu. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're out there for, like, 10 weeks, you know, like, um, you know... Yeah, Everest is a long time, and it's a head game. That's a head game. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, talk us through... A, a trip to Everest and an attempt on Everest. So essentially, you do it in rotations, and so it's a really slow walk into base camp. And you've done base camp, so five and a half thousand meters. You do it in about nine days, from two two to five five, and so then you chill at base camp for a wee while, and then you go and climb everything around it that goes up to about six and a half thousand meters. So we went and climbed Lobache a couple of times, which is a significant peak in its own right. Mm. So you climb that a couple of times just to get your legs in and to get your altitude. Yep. Um, because what you do is you climb high, sleep low, and so you kind of zigzag your way up a mountain. And then once you've done that, you um, you know you move up a level. So once you've acclimatised to five and a half, you stay there for a wee while, then you go a bit higher, then you come back down to five and a half. And then you push up to the next level. And so when you get to the next level, once again, you let your body acclimatise and you push up to the next level again. If you try and do it too fast, you kill yourself, basically. Mm. And um, and so it's always – climbing's about patience. So it's a hurry up and wait game. Mm. On the day that you're ready to push up to the next level, it might be avalanching, there might be snow, there might be – you know, other factors that come into play, like there might be horrific wind, which wind at altitude obviously increases your chance of frostbite, mm. all these other things. So you try not to climb if the wind is, you know, over a certain, a certain number. Yeah. And, um, and so, so it's all of those things. So whereas here in Sydney, if it rains outside, I get in my car and I don't give a rat's or I can go for a run and I put a raincoat on and nobody cares. If it's if it's sleeting and blizzarding at altitude, you are in a, you're actually in a, a world of pain. Yes. So you've got to hunker down. Hunkering down means you have to have either a really good tent mate or a great book because you know you might hunker down for a week. Oh, really? So you want the food to be good. 
you want your tent mate to have great stories or you want to have fantastic books that you can swap out. Wow. So you can be down stuck in a tent for a week as, as part of that journey, and that's happened a few times, I suppose. In Alaska, I was stuck at um, what they call advanced base camp for about five days. Oh. And it, just, it was just horrible. And then, you know... When we got a weather window, this is the other problem with altitude, we went, oh, my God, there's a weather window of three days. We've got to get to the summit and back to here within three days. So sometimes you, you climb counterintuitively. Yep. Like what you would normally do in, say, five days, you end up having to do in a real hurry just to get the weather window. So, so some of those things make it hurt a lot more. So it's a trade-off of, of risk versus return and possibility, and you're dealing with uncertainties in every aspect. Everything on a mountain, it's, 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 we always say, here's, here's, the, here's the itinerary, and now forget that. <laughs> now, we'll, now we'll go and climb it. So, yeah. you know, so. It's, it's never what it's supposed to be. Yeah, so you have to be flexible in the face of adversity. And, Absolutely. And, and there's no way out. Like if you're stuck in a tent at uh, six and a half thousand meters, there's actually no way out. You can't say, "Oh, I quit now." Um. Well, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is with technology nowadays. I mean, we were at base camp uh, in Tibet, and and I suppose what I've noticed over the years is that the technology's got so good that you can actually be talking to your, you know, your ones <laughs> at home. From the from the safety of your tent in, a, in the most you know foreign country, and the, the, the danger of that is that your family problems come into the tent with. Oh yeah. So so quite often what you see is that people have gone, um, you know, they've got a text from or a, or, a, or a phone call from home, and something's gone wrong at work, and they bail on their expedition. Oh. And to me, that's that's almost. What's the way to describe that? You know, like it's almost yeah. an invasion yep. of your of your world on a because you nothing one of the things I love about being out in, in wherever in the nature and that is that you are off the grid that you're totally focused on one thing uh, and you don't have any distractions so what I try to do is um, I have like usually just one point of contact and that's usually my partner and then I, I just say once a week and that's when we'll do a call and he has promised never to tell me bad news so that it doesn't distract me so he'll tell me anything but I know that I'm never going to get bad news great so and you know like he could the, the world could be imploding but I'm not going to know about it until I get <laughs> off that mountain and when I get off that mountain he can tell me you know whatever he likes but whilst I'm on the mountain I'm there to climb the mountain and otherwise I shouldn't have gone and I know that stuff could happen whilst I'm away yep so it's particularly Protecting your your mindset above everything. It's, it's so that you don't because it's really like being on a mountain for a long time does your head in, and so you know everything. You have time to think, and thinking can be your enemy. Oh so, yeah. Um, you know it's really good to clear your mind and just focus on the job ahead because that's what you need to do. Yeah. And you know we we have we can you know you've got your iPad, you can watch movies, you've got. Um, you know, uh, uh, your phone, if you need to call home, you've got sat phone. The technology is there. It's actually really cool, though, when you don't use it yep. and you just focus on the job ahead. Yeah, because then, then you are – it's also protecting your – because you're so driven and you're so you're frightened. You've you you've been on this mission for so long and you have to keep that focus. Um, my last trip to the Himalayas was a disaster. <laughs> I went to base camp and I was trying to do um, with a guy Mike Allsop who's climbed the Everest, and he goes up there every year and. Um, I helped train him when he did a seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And in the aftermath of that, he decided, okay, well, let's go and do the highest marathon ever recorded. I mean, it's an artificial uh, yes. thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, not not the official marathon. We were trying to go from Kalapatar <clears throat> and over Chola, uh, Chola Pass um, and then back round the backside. I've forgotten the name of all the little villages there. Um and so it was a lot higher than the the, the uh, base camp to. Oh well, for me a non mountaineer that actually did me in. I, I climbed 
climbed Kalapata three days before as a re- as part of a recce because that's where we was our starting point was on top of Kalapata, and um, it was do <laughs> and you know it was an incredible day with the sun rising over Everest and, and amazing. But uh, the cold, I'm an asthmatic and. Um, uh, yeah, keep your breath warm. Yeah, and I took my buff down. You know how you have your buff over your mouth. I was desperate for air at one stage because I just couldn't breathe. You know what it's like at altitude, and you're just like. <gasps> and I took it down, and I just sucked in this this cold air, and then I got an infection into the lungs. You would yeah, be able to relate like, to all this. <laughs> And three days later, of course, I had to make the call six hours before we were to start the race to pull out. And that was a year's preparation, film crews, sponsors, you know, the whole shebang. And it was a huge failure. And and that really knocked the shit out of me, putting it bluntly. Um, And I haven't done anything since. Um, Not to say that I won't, but I'm probably not going to head back to the Himalayas anytime soon. So for me... Probably a safe call. <laughs> the um, conditions over there. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, look, I, I think altitude is a, um, a patience game, and so um, probably you know the best thing you could have done would have been to go and go and hang at Gorak Shep for a week prior to running up to the top of Kalapatar. You know, and that's and that's the lesson I've learned is that you need time. So when people say to me, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in and ramp up something," and you know fly up it and fly down it, yep. I would say, well, don't pick me. I need time. Yes. So that was a mistake. If I've got time. Yeah, and pick your pick your mates that you're doing things with was the other lesson <laughs> out of that one. <laughs> but um, I it does it, just watching and looking at Everest and 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 contemplating what would it be like to go up there. I mean, I'm I'm a risk taker. I don't fear a lot of things, but that scared the crap out of me. Just watching people doing that and then going past that place where that that cemetery is where all the monuments i was in tears going past there you know it is an eerie place isn't it it is you can tell they're all there um look i mean you know there's a a, the everest movie's about to come out and um uh, about the 96 event and most of the guys that were on uh yeah year that died their, um, they've made memorials to them at that spot. So Scott Fisher, Rob Hall, yep. uh, you know, a lot of amazing guys that died on that um, sad day. Um, but that area, um, it, it just, for me, it's really good to ground you mm. so that you know that um, you're not on a on a run, you're actually on a real expedition, and you know going through the icefall is a it's a dangerous place. And um, on the Tibetan side, um, you take out that danger because there is no icefall. Right. There's other there's other uh, uh, you know other problems. <laughs> problems. <laughs> you know, no, no mountain um, comes without its little gifts. Um, so. So, um, but yeah, no, the, I think it's quite a good thing to have those monuments there because it just makes you think about what you're about to embark upon. Yeah, and that it is a seriously dangerous undertaking. How do your, how does your family cope? Like, if we look at the sacrifice that families have to make for crazy people, um, <laughs> what do you think your kids have have benefited from having a mum like you? And what what what's the negative? The funny thing is that I've been doing this their whole lives, you know, so for them it's all pretty much status quo. Yeah. They wouldn't know any different, and I think they think that, I'm not sure if they think all mums are like me or, you know, I don't know. Um, but I would like to think, um, I mean, Matt's had a, go, had a go at Kelly and got up, and he, he, he enjoyed the journey. Um Grace doesn't aspire to climb mountains, but she came to base camp with me on Everest. Wow. So, cool. um, she, you know, they both love the journey. Yep. They do, I don't know that they would ever want to um, do anything significant. Yep. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always follow on that your kids will do what you did, and I'm kind of happy about that. They Absolutely. Um, so they don't have to live in your shadow, you know, like they don't, you don't expect them to. I don't, but I don't really talk a lot about my mountaineering 
you know, like I think it's just a, um, it's just, you know, another thing that I do. Yeah. What mum does <laughs> on the days off. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not like it's a huge conversation. It's only when I'm gearing up to go that the kids get a little bit antsy. But other than that, it's not, it's, it's not significant. And, and being a role model for them, you think that that's, you know. I think, yeah, I think that's really important that, I, I think it's really important for girls um, to see that because quite often, I mean, if you go on a mountain, it's maybe 90, 10, mm. 90% boys, 10% girls. Um, I mean, this last expedition I was on, I was the only girl. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, it's really important for girls to see that they can, you know, keep up with boys. Um, the... There is no um, difference, I don't think, on a mountain between girls and boys, strength-wise. Maybe load carrying, boys can carry a little bit more, but other than that, I, you know, yeah. we're equal. Mental fortitude-wise, um, we're so equal. Yeah, so that, that, I, I, I'd like to model that, definitely, that we can do we can do just as much as they can. For, for my kids, um, I just think, you know, if you can give them a good you know, moral values, then you've won. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I, I like seeing, I love a good, um, yeah, good set of values. That's, that would be my biggest thing. That's that's huge. And, and just being someone who, I mean, I grew up with a dad probably, but like yours, he was very influential in my life and, and expected that the me being a girl was no hindrance to me being an all black in his eyes. <laughs> um, I, he wanted me to be an all black, actually. Same in my house. <laughs> And I was expected to be as tough as boys and do whatever the boys did. And I was the eldest, so I had two younger brothers that came in after, thank goodness, because otherwise it would have been a real hell. But um, <laughs> um, And girls didn't play rugby back then, but, you know, that was this big disappointment that I never got to play for the All Blacks. Um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, and so dads, dads or parents can have a huge influence in, in, in your life, um, especially when you grow. Totally agree. I mean... My mum's seven now, I think, and um, my, da- my dad's unfortunately gone, but every time I talk about anything to do with mountaineering, my mum's eyes glow. Oh. So it's special to have that relationship, and I think, you know, parents are a huge impetus for kids to get out there and do stuff, and, you know, behind many amazing athletes are wonder- wonderful parents, yep. you know, who, who've been there on the sidelines for years giving <laughs> up their time. Oh, yeah, so, I've, I've got those. I, I, yeah, I, I know. I, you know, I, there is not, there, I can honestly say there aren't many games of rugby that I've missed that my son's played in or gymnastics events that Grayson's been in that I've missed. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's that's a special thing, you know, when, when they look up after scoring that try or when they look up after nailing something on the beat. Yes. And you give them that little smile, you know, it's, it's that stuff. That's that pride in them and that support. And, and I mean, I'm 46 now. I've got mum still on the sidelines of everything, anything that I'm doing, you know, and, and and what a power that is in my life. Doesn't matter how old I am now, you're still influenced by what happened in your childhood, um, and it's so important that we we teach our kids this. And you know, um, especially our Maori children back home in New Zealand. You know, um, they need great role models like you. Little little Maori girls need to look up to Annie Doyle and go, "Whoa, if she can do that, I can do that." You know. I don't. I don't significance um, my cultural and, and you know uh, heritage background, and I think it's really been a big part of um, who I am and how I contribute on a team. And you know, people don't understand that sometimes. Um, if you come from a, a Maori background, you have this amazing. Um, gift of giving yeah and um and so when you contribute in a team it's actually really powerful and i know many people have said to me um over the years and i've been in a million teams let me tell you um <laughs> that one of the thing, one of the attributes that i do have is that like that love and that that sharing and caring and nurturing of other team players because it's not about me it's always about the team and i think if you can bring that, um, that that to your life and to your work ethic and to your to your um, to your sporting capabilities, 
um, it's a wonderful thing to see. And so um, I was on code last week, or week before, I can't remember, and um, there were some lovely married boys on there, and they were telling like, their story when we were sitting in the green room before the show. And, you know, similar background, similar <laughs> stuff. You know, like, it's all about team, and, and that's, they were telling us how, how it works in the Maori All Blacks, and, um, you know, the, 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 the buddying up, the nurturing. Fantastic. Um, those things to me, that really appealed to me because I went, that's what you need, that's what you get. You know, like it's a special relationship that you have with, with people who have done it before um, that, you know, you, oh. you would have. Yeah. yeah. It's so special and so powerful. It, it is, and that's why, you know, like I love coaching and I love mentoring and, and sharing your journey and, and, and um, building confidence is the biggest thing, you know. And the, those boys on the couch, I was watching you on telly there, and they were just an awe <laughs> the young girls there from the cricket they were just like oh what the hell am I doing on the couch with this lady I could see their eyes just they just like were completely in awe and um, and that's a great role model for them because they you know they some of our young sports people can be a bit you know bulletproof and oh we're cool and you know I was incredibly proud of the girls because, you know, that's a much harder journey. You know, New Zealand cricket uh, for women, that's, that's you know, it's still evolving and, and obviously we're not, you know, top ranking yet. But they were they were great role models, those girls as mm. well. So, you know, it's really interesting um, to have been in that setting with, with different sports and different girls. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was quite It's pretty cool. And I could just see that they were just like – Oh wow, we're nothing. <laughs> we don't have any idea. I, I, was, I was incredibly proud of them. I thought they spoke beautifully. So yeah, they great did. For New Zealand. It's great for New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, it's 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 a shame for us you're living in Sydney because we need we need you back home. You know, I know you're doing a good job <laughs> over there. I'm a day away. <laughs> Not too far away, but you do have a, a responsibility because you you. You are inspiring to to I mean just think of young Maori girls looking up to you and what you've achieved and what um, it just gives them the possibility that they could live like that too or that they could live their adventures their version of of whatever it is they want to chase but Maori woman achieving you know the other interesting thing is that Maori women have been climbing for a while and um, a, a lovely lady that I met over um, here um, Chelsea Winstanley. She, she put together a um, she was going to try and do a doco thing about Maori women climbers because back in the day the women used to um, go over uh, significant parts mm. of New Zealand to, to get to you know food, family uh, you know tribes and, um, and so um, they've been doing it for a very long time so I'm not I'm not no, no, we're not. <laughs> So just more, more married women can do it because it's, it's obviously, obviously in, our, in our historic past that we, we were doing it. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at um, throughout history, in fact, um, I tried to do a TV series, which was a failed. We, we did the pilot, but we didn't get the series off the ground, which was looking at the fact that um, people were – made to do these huge long distance trekking, running, whatever climbing, pioneering um, and, and reenacting some of the legends and we in that uh, time we, we explored a lot of the Maori legends and, and there were quite a few women legends that we uncovered, crossing of the Alps in the South Island and, and, and the like um, So there's some amazing like history mm. um, on exactly that and so I find it quite fascinating really, I hadn't really delved into it but, you know, I just climb because I like climbing. Yeah. Um, but when, when somebody told me about it, I went, oh, really? So. Well, there you go. There's a doco, Annie. Let's do a doco together. Well, let's, <laughs> let's go. go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go and uh, marry women in the past who have done crazy things. Hey, but before we, um, you know, we've, we've been nettering away and I haven't even got onto half the subjects I want to get onto, you know, because you're just so uh, uh, interesting. I'm really interested in uh, Mount McKinley. What was that like? Um, I, uh, Denali, Mount McKinley, whatever you want to call it, I went to Alaska and, and I looked at it and I was just like, wow, you know, what a beautiful place, what a beautiful mountain, but one of the toughest. I 
I think that Denali is possibly um, as beautiful as New Zealand, and I oh yeah, yep. and I don't say that lightly. Um, as you know, I'm very proud of New Zealand. Um, it is a stunning, pristine country. Um, and Denali would have had to have been for me possibly the hardest mountain I've ever climbed. Yep. Um, it's um, uh, you start at zero, whereas most mountains you start at you know you fly into a an altitude. Um, Denali you start at zero, so the, even though it's only sixty one hundred meters, it's sixty one hundred meters of hard yakka and. Way the north. Hard the hard yakka comes in with you're pulling a sled with about 25 to 30 kilos on it and you're wearing a backpack with about 25 to 30 kilos in it. So, you know, 55 kilos dripping wet or you know, maybe a couple of kilos more now, 58. To be <laughs> um, little thing. The, 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 you weigh as much as what you're dragging. Wow. And so um, when you get to advanced base camp at about 4,400, you drop off the sled and you carry everything from that point onwards. Holy. And, um, and so it's, um, it's look, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough, but, oh, my God, it's beautiful. And the nicest thing about it is it is called Denali, and that's the Indian name for the mountain. And so it has a lot of spiritual significance. And, and I kind of like mountains that have that cultural mm. um, component to them. Um, you know, that was clearly missing on Elbrus. It's it's not very spiritual. It's a bit of a ho-hum mountain. Oh. Um, and um, so, yeah, so it's really nice to, to climb a mountain that's that it has history and feel and spirit. It's got, it's got some horror stories. It's got some, you know, hard, it's really tough. Yeah, and the cold is, is it's the coldest mountain on earth, isn't it? It's pretty cold. <laughs> <laughs> I wore six layers on bottom and six layers on top when I summed Gosh, gosh. And and um, you talked about Elbrus, so that was a bit of a, the opposite. Was that a bit of... So Elbrus is a Russian mountain. You get to the base of it, but then chairlift. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then you can get snow tracked to the start of the climb. It's like, it's, it's kind of a different climb. It's, it's two big humps that you kind of need to get over. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's underwhelming. Yeah. It's not as... It's, it's beautiful if you look back off Elbrus and you look at the Caucasus range, it's stunning. But Elbrus itself, I believe, to be a little bit underwhelming. So it wasn't as, as... So Denali, talk us through getting to the summit of Denali or Mount McKinley. So Denali is... Um, you land and a, a little beaver drops you off at zero, basically, and then you camp beside the airfield. The next day, you, you get up and you strap on your crampons straight away or your snowshoes, and you start going through, um, you know, and slowly, slowly, slowly up the mountain. So, you know, you climb it like I've said before, climb high, sleep low. Yep. So you quite often go on cache gear and then go and pick it up on the way through. So um, it's not completely always that you're loaded with 50 kilos, you go and drop off a 25 kilo load, go back down, take the next 25 kilos up to the load, pick that up and then carry on to where you need to be. So it's, it's kind of that caching up and down the mountain. Um, the hardest bit was um, there's, a, there's a wall that you have to climb, it's literally out of uh, advanced base camp and it's, it's a significant wall and it's a bit of torture, it's straight up and so it does require incredible quads. Um, and then once you get to the top of that wall, the pain's not over, you've got to literally get to, into advance, uh, to high camp, and that's still about three hours away from the top of the wall. So that was the hardest day oh, Crikey. Summit day wasn't as bad. The danger is there's a, um, what they call the ice barn. It's like this area that's like an autobahn, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like glassy ice, and you have to traverse sort of climb that and then when you're coming down you've got to watch your step because it's very icy because it's always in shadow um the actual summit ridge was stunning but cold we we froze we just had the coldest summit i've ever had on any mountain and in fact if you look at my summit photos all you can see is like i think you can see a bit of skin on my cheeks and the rest of me is just enclosed in cocooned layers of down and how did you like you, you didn't end up burnt frostbite nothing like that I mean oh, you look beautiful your skin's so, great because I'm part, I'm part Mary's 
I, I tan quite easily, and it doesn't matter how much sunblock you stick on, you end up coming home looking like uh, <laughs> what are those those animals? Like, like a panda. <laughs> got the white eyes from the boggles, the rest of me is black. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not good beauty regime, is it? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a regime. <laughs> and yet, how old are you now, Annie? You're um, early 50s. <laughs> and you look gorgeous and you have beautiful skin. So, um, you know, obviously you're doing something right, despite the burn. As my mum too, but Nivea goes a long way. <laughs> Nivea goes a long way. I think you need a bit more than Nivea, but you've done something right. Um, so let's talk about failure. Failure on Everest. You've been there three attempts. Yeah, look, you know, I, I whilst um, in 2012 our expedition leader, Russell Bryce, shut the expedition down, we were on a trip with... Um, the walking with the wounded soldiers. Um, so, 12 soldiers from England who had um, significant uh, disabilities. Wow! And um, so, you know, lost arms, lost limbs, whatever. And they were they were trying to climb it. So Russell called it fairly early because there was a really dangerous serac hanging over the ice fall. So he said it's a no-no go this year. Yep. So we turned around and went home and other people summited, which was really hard to watch. Yep. Um, so in 14, I went back to do the south side again, and that's when the ice fall did collapse. So he was two years ahead of his time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it collapsed and it killed 16 people. So oh. no, he was ultimately right. He was, and, yeah. Um, you're alive. It was dangerous, and um, in, in 14, we never even set foot on, um, after five and a half thousand metres, we didn't set foot on Everest. We climbed everything around it, but not Everest because of that um, huge um, death rate. Then this year, I went to Tibet, thought, I'm not going southside, I'm going to take the ice wall out of the equation. And um, you would have heard there were all the earthquakes. Yeah. In, um, particularly in Kathmandu and um, all the way up to um, south side on Everest and 21 people died on the south side. Being on the north side, you would have thought that um, it didn't affect us. It actually impacted us hugely because the um, whole mountain was unstable. And if you think about it, if the south side is collapsing, the north side's prone to collapse. Yeah, yeah. So for us... The danger was not so much in continuing the climb, it was the destable, destabilised environment that we yep. were in and um, the unknown. enormous rock fall on our side. So um, whilst we weren't in the danger zone, we, we, the aftershocks were horrific on our side and um, so we, we couldn't continue. So three out of three failed. Yeah, but, <clears throat> you know, um, on the subject of, of failure, I mean, I don't see something like that as a failure at all. It's just, um, you know, it's a stepping stone on the on the way to the next one. And, and failure is just a topic I wanted to touch on in general, you know, talking to, to people out there. You know, you are, when you're doing this sort of thing, you're pushing the limits, you are dealing with nature who will throw whatever she likes at you. You cannot always predict what is going to happen. Is failure part of the parcel and you accept that? Um, look, I think if you turn around for the right reasons, it's not a fail. Yeah. And um, look, I think um, if, if you look at how many times I've had to turn around and it's not been very often um, and I've always walked away with my head held high that I know that at the end of the day, I'm coming home to my beautiful children and my partner. Yep. Um, I've got wonderful work that I do, so I've got a great life uh, outside of climbing. Um, so I don't want to um, jeopardise that. No. So it's, it's not a climb at any cost. Great. It's a climb because... All the elements are there on the day, and the mountain has let you tread, you know, gently on her slopes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I take that on board because mountains are spiritual places. Yes. And um, and you you should um, yeah you should be aware that that's you're being allowed to tread on their slopes. You're not so, conquering her. <laughs> and that's, and that's, the, that's the mariness, I suppose, that comes out in us in that 
you know, I respect the mountains and I and I want to be there for the right reasons, not just to, you know, um, tag it. Conquer it so, and tag it and put your mark on the ground. People that tag, um, they're not my faves. You know, like they don't have the right spiritual place. Yep. And so it's it's all about the whole thing. It's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, you know, you talk to anybody that climbs a lot, you know, it's, a, it's the whole journey. It's not just tagging. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so do you think you're going to have another go at it? Because, and I say that, you know, people think, oh, of course you're going to have another go, but... It's a hell of a, a sacrifice financially. It's a ask. It's a huge ask. And, you know, I would say to you I would love to have another go, but it's 65000 a pop. Yeah. Uh, in weeks of my life. Um, and, you know, I do need to get out of bed for a reason, so I'm training. Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm considering a lot of factors. You know, not least of all, I'm aware that I've flipped this on my my family for a very long time because every time I go away they they obviously worry about me yes. and I'm not unaware of that so you know I don't want to inflict too many more of these on them yeah it is it, it gets to a point if you did manage to do it and you managed to tick that box and you've got the seven highest mountains on the on the seven continents which is a you know a, a thing that you you want um, and would be amazing to have but do you think that isn't really the most important thing out of out of what you've done? You know, is the legacy that you've you be able to share going forward? What would be cool is that I'd be the first Maori woman. Yeah. Then the other thing would be I'd be the first Maori woman to climb Everest. So you hmm. know, they're special things for me because not to achieve the first, but just to say to Maori women. God, we can way do this. Yeah, you know, like it's not it's not unachievable. Um, I, I just think that would that would be something that would be incredibly, you know, that that gives me incentive to do it. Yeah. If I don't make it, I'm not so worried. I gave it a really good bash. Um, but if I'm if I'm going to commit to it, I'm 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 150 percent there. Yeah. So yeah, we're still talking about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so watch this space. <laughs> and then after that if you did manage to do it you know like do you think you carry on or you'd like oh look i'm gonna climb regardless if I, you know, for fun it's, just a yeah. it's one it's one of many so you know we're looking at tasman we're looking at um some stuff in um patagonia mm. um so there's always an adventure <laughs> i like adventure and <laughs> uh, one last subject then annie before we wrap up then aging do you see that, like, you know, um, uh, that this is a limiting factor, your age or moving forward? You definitely play to your strengths. So I uh, – it's really interesting because I was with a few uh, guys that were sub-30 on Everest this time, and, you know, they've got egos and they're fit and they're ready to go and they're <laughs> pumped. And so um, – so I don't um, – so when they go, oh, let's climb this, let's climb that, let's climb this. And so some days they go off and climb stuff and I chill because I just go, you know what, I'm going to save myself. For yeah. Blah, blah. <laughs> so you play to your strengths. So Wisdom. what I've learned is if you take your ego out of it and you just, you know, conserve your energy and, you know, um, you can actually climb quite well. Um, and and in the end, it was really funny. I was beating the boys on quite a few things because they've been going so hard on other stuff. Surprise, that, surprise! Um, <laughs> you know, like, and it's just it's just learning the game. It's a game. Uh, yeah. So so you know, I maybe in the past I might have freaked out and gone, "Oh my god, I have to climb as much as they do." Yeah. No, I don't, I don't go there anymore. I just go conserve your energy, know what you can climb well, and do it. And then, and you know, the end goal. We're all getting to the same end goal. And I, it was quite funny because I'm a bit older. You know, the boys used to ask me advice, and and so you know, some of them were a bit worried that they weren't keeping up with others. And I'd say to them, you know, chill, just save yourself. You know, today you might not feel 100, percent but tomorrow you might feel 200. percent So you know, so you've got to work out where your body's at on a particular day. Oh, see, that's great advice for me too. Because yeah, it is hard to. I mean, I'm 46. I'm not far behind you. And and after 10 years is a long time. <laughs> well, mate, if I'm doing as good as you, by the time I get there, I'll be stoked. Um, but 
even like, you know, I've been doing what I do for 20 odd years and it does get to the point where you start to notice things are changing and you have to adapt. However, you're wiser, but yeah, it's taking that ego out of the equation, uh, the equation that you know I, you want to go and smash out everything. But I'm now realizing, hang on, it's better to pick your battles. <laughs> exactly, pick your battles. That's what I say. <laughs> and, and plan well and conserve, conserve, conserve for the real important things. I think that's um, and and aging. I've got a friend, Jack Dennis, who's just attempted to run uh, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, which is through Death Valley. And um, he's done it, I think, 17 or 18 times. And he's 80 years old. He got to the... He got to the 80-mile mark. And, uh, I mean, I ran through Niger, 333K race through there. I've been with him in the Sahara. He's And he's just the softest, most gentle person. But he's... I, I'm just in awe of him still doing it, you know. Like I'm getting to the point where he's thinking, "Oh, it'd be nice to not have to do it right now," <laughs> you know. And here's his at eighty, still smashing it out, and I'm just thinking, "Yeah, that's great role model." I might not be doing it at eighty, but I will hopefully be fully functioning at eighty and doing exactly. my version. Yeah, no, you want to go go out used up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. So when people say to you, this is all terribly unhealthy, what you're doing, you're killing yourself, you're, you're wrecking your joints, you're, you're, um, you look pretty damn good to me, Annie. I don't think they're um, – and mostly it's people. Okay. I come from good stock. <laughs> yeah, we've got good genetics, eh? Maori blood keeps us going. <laughs> Hey, look, Annie, I reckon we've had another 10 blimmin' hours that we could have chatted on there, and, and maybe in the future if um, I could ask for the privilege of another hour of your time to explore some other deeper topics that would be great for our listeners. But um, you're an amazing woman. I thank you for your time, and I, I got my fingers crossed that you get up, Everest, because I'd love to see a Māori woman stand on, stand on there. And achieve that that dream. And if you don't, well, bloody hell, you've done you've done incredible. Regardless. Okay, thanks, thanks, Lisa. And it's been an absolute privilege to be on your show. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Annie. We'll talk soon. I'll okay. catch up with you after. All right. Okay. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That was awesome. Fantastic, thank you.